This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our podcast series on being ESG wise. My name is Meg Lee and I'm the co-lead of Hall & Wilcox's Environment, Social and Governance Industry Group. Let me start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land from which I'm recording today. I recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and to any First Nations people listening to this podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Clint Wilson, who is General Manager Sustainability at Centuria Capital Group, a specialist real estate investment manager with approximately 20 billion in funds under management across funds and investment bonds. Centuria also managed unlisted funds and has over 12,000 investors in those funds. Centuria operates in a wide variety of sectors, including office, industrial, large format retail, healthcare, and a recent expansion into agriculture. Before joining Centuria, Clint held sustainability roles with Len Lease and John Holland. Welcome, Clint. Thank you for having me, Meg. It's a pleasure. Well, perhaps, Clint, you could start by telling us a bit about yourself and your role at Centuria and the importance of sustainability. Absolutely. And, and may I begin by also paying my respects to the traditional custodians on the land in which I'm joining you today, and that's the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. I'd also like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I think as we start to talk about ESG and sustainability, it's we're quite fortunate to live amongst the oldest living culture in the world. So as paying my respects, I think there's a lot of inspiration we can draw from the traditional custodians and where we're, where we're living and where we come from as we start to talk about this. So going back a little bit about me, uh, I joined Century about a year and a half ago. Uh, previously used to work in Lendlease's global sustainability team. Uh, at Centuria, I helped the business integrate sustainability into their day-to-day operations working with the teams to help them unlock ESG value and what that brings to the wider. At Centuria, I'd argue that sustainability is very important. So I'm fortunate enough to report to the CEO and report to uh, our culture and ESG board committee, which our chairman sits on. So at the moment, it's a very large focus for the group. That's fantastic. I've had a look at your latest sustainability report and I understand you've got what you call an active management approach, including funds management, transactions, commercial property services and development. Can you explain a bit about how ESG factors into that active management approach? Oof, straight in the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I love it. Look, I think to start, we need to know what is ESG and how it relates to Centuria. It's important to note ESG, it's a very broad set of issues on how a company makes a very broad set of issues Mm. what a company chooses to focus on with their business approach and their investment philosophy. So one thing that we did first is we were, what is ESG Centuria? What are the material ESG topics that we choose to focus on? Now, when determining what those material topics are, uh, we need to be cognizant of who Centuria is. Uh, So we manage funds. Uh, both listed and unlisted property within diverse asset classes, Mm. agriculture, retail, commercial. We also operate in New Zealand and Australia. So we need to take all of that into context when we think about ESG. One of the first things we did 
when identifying the issue topics is we went to the frameworks. We went to frameworks like SASB, GRI, DJSI, uh, MISCI, just to name a few, and looked what are the material topics that they would expect a company like us to be looking at. The second thing we did when identifying what are the material topics for us is we rationalised that for our stakeholders. So who are our stakeholders? So our employees, our investors, our tenants, our customers, just to make sure that when we're looking through the, these frameworks to identify these issue topics, that they're relevant to those stakeholders. They're actually adding value or they're mitigating risk. And finally, just as a litmus test, we went through and looked at our industry peers. What are some of the other property, the real estate companies doing to make sure that, you know, we're kind of sitting within the right spot. We're not going too far. We're not obviously missing anything that's really important. So once we've actually gone through that, uh, oh. we're able to really distill though the university issue topics down to a handful of topics that we deem to be material for the group. And so those material topics are ones that either add value to the group or mitigate the biggest risk. Uh, once we've distilled that into our an ESG framework or our sustainability framework, as we like to call it, we then work about integrating that into our day-to-day -day operations, building that into the BAU processes that we have in place. I'm a really big believer that you can have a perfect framework and you can have all the right topics and do all the right things, but unless you've got the culture that comes along with it, it's going to fail. And so part of our approach is making sure that we've got the right culture that supports the processes and the framework that we've got in place. So when people go about their day-to-day -day operations in making those investment decisions, managing those assets, that they understand the value that the issue topics that we're focused on is being delivered. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, it's there's, a, a lot there. such, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And it is such a big task. And it's, uh, it sounds like you've taken a really, you know, systematic approach to identifying your, your material issues, which is fantastic. And I think, as you said, ESG is such a broad framework and, and covers so many issues. So you mentioned working with your stakeholders and employees and investors. And how have you sort of gone about that process? Oh, Again, great question. So the first thing we did with working with our stakeholders is, is kind of identifying who those stakeholders are. So we, we talked about some of them already. So our investors, uh, we do a lot of our investor meetings one-on-one. -on -one. We go actively engage with our investors to understand what are their material topics. Obviously, we're listening to our investors, what they're saying out in the markets to make sure that we're rationalised there. Our employees, fantastic resource that we've drawn from within the business. They've got a wealth of experience in this in this mm -hmm. industry. So we'd be remiss not to include them. We actually did a, a whole series of workshops with our employees to talk to what are they hearing from their own internal stakeholders, the tenants that they're working with, the customers they're working with, to so making sure that brings, brings it all into the front. We also do a lot of stakeholder engagement with industry bodies. So there's amazing, again, a wealth of knowledge within Australia. So the Green Building Council of Australia, Property Council of Australia, uh, the Neighbours, for example, are some fantastic industry bodies that we've brought their experience and, the, and their advice in when we're looking at the ESG topics. Uh, and then we've distilled that into, as I mentioned before, our sustainability framework. Fantastic. Uh, you mentioned the uh, governance committee that you've got and how that works with senior management. I'm just interested to know a bit more about that model and, and how that works in terms of integrating your functional teams with, with that sort of policy decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. 
So as, as Centurion, we have a, a culture and ESG board committee, which was uh, formed last year. And, and on that, we have our, our chair, Centurion Capital Group chair. And we also, that's chaired by the, the wonderful Susan Wilder, who brings a wealth of knowledge and a lot of energy to this function. We also have our joint CEO, uh, Jason Hulich, who also sits on that, that committee. And so that, that board committee really provides a lot of oversight uh, on ESG for the group. Now, underneath that, we have what we call an ESG management committee, uh, which we have representatives from across the business, from different parts that sit on that, as well as our joint CEO, John McBain, uh, and myself. And those two committees work together to really to distill our ESG framework into actionable items that we can then roll out across the business Personally, it works fantastic. And the reason being is there's a lot of transparency that you get from management reporting up into that board. And so the board has really good oversight in what's actually happening in the day-to-day operations. But because we've also got the board that's this, the ASG management committee that's reporting directly to that board committee, that, can, that board committee really pushes management to go further and, and beyond. So it's never a case of, yeah, pack up shop, we're done. It's always like, what do you do next? What is the next thing? And I think that's something that's really important with ESG is the work is, is never done. There's always the next thing that's going to come. Uh, and I, I'm a big believer that ESG eventually becomes BAU business. It's, it gets mm. built into people's day-to-day jobs. And then the sustainability people are always looking at the next thing that they can bring back into the business and integrate that into the BAU processes and systems. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love this. There's a quote from a conference I went to last year that someone said, you know, it's it's no longer a, a woke agenda. It's not the, the the boardrooms haven't been taken over by the lefties. It's it is BAU. I completely agree. And yeah. personally, um, personally for me, sustainability ESG is all about adding value to the business. Uh, and I think your know, sustainability it's it's there to to create profit to mitigate risk. It, oh. It's not a it's not like a a woke sort of agenda it's it adds value to the business so and i think yeah. that's that's you get these really amazing light bulb moments with the business when they go i get it i understand and that's really that awareness piece which i go back to for making sure that sustainability falls over if the culture and the business doesn't understand it and doesn't embrace it yeah yeah well congratulations too on uh, publishing your first uh, sustainability report in your what must have been your second year with, with the company. I'm interested to understand what, I guess, what drivers there were for, for doing so, given it's largely a voluntary process in Australia. And I guess, can you share some experiences on, on how you went about preparing that first report? Yeah, I have to be honest. First report, it was a bit of a challenge. I actually did it within my first three months of joining the company. Oh, three, within three months. <laughs> well, well done. No, no. So it's... I'm really, to be honest, I'm really proud at how the business and the group came together to deliver their first sustainability report. The real driver behind a sustainability report is about making sure that we can tell that narrative to the market about what we're doing with regards to ESG, because there is a lot of invested interest coming from a wide range of stakeholders about a company's non-financial performance and their undertakings. Mm-hmm. It's a great way for us to say to investors, this is what we're doing regarding climate change. We know it's a big issue. Here is our approach. Here's what we're doing. It's a fantastic way that we can say to potential talent that we're trying to attract from the market. This is what we do for our employees. This is our culture. So those drivers alone really led us to releasing our first sustainable report. And I'm really excited that we're 
we're planning to release our second system report uh, in, in the coming weeks. Oh, fantastic. And in, in going about preparing the report, can you give us some examples of, I guess, challenges along the way, gathering data from your different different groups? I know that's one of the biggest challenges people have. And I guess also, you know, setting targets for going forward and, and net zero targets is obviously a big one at the moment. Are you sort of looking at that for your next report and, and how's that going? Yeah. Again, great questions. So what we're, some of the challenges we had with our first sustainable report was people understanding why we're doing it, where, what, why are we going to report this stuff? We haven't done it before. And again, it comes back to that value proposition that sustainability ESG has for the business. So that was a huge challenge, having the conversations internally with the business about trying to collect information that they've never had to collect before. So there was that that bridge that had to be built, be going, okay, I now understand why we need to do this. I understand the value. The next thing is because we, a lot of the time we hadn't done a sustainability report before, it was quite difficult to find some of the data. So the systems and processes mm. were being developed and built. Uh, and so we've done a lot of work internally and we've got a really robust system in place now to start collecting and reporting against this information. Uh, again, one of the challenges with our sustainability report was there's so many sustainability frameworks out there. Choosing yeah. the right one to report against can be quite difficult. Uh, I always like to refer to it as the ESG ABC soup. So whether it's GRI. <laughs> there's so many acronyms. So yeah. many, whether it's GRI or TCFD or SASB, it's, we don't know which one to report against. And yeah. we, had to take a, we had to take a pause to really go, right, which one's going to add the most value uh, you know, TCC is, TCFD is a fantastic example of this. It's it's rise to prominence as the the, the go-to disclosure for climate change has meant organisations probably don't see as much value in disclosing against CDP anymore. So that was something we had to take a pause and work that out. Uh, with regards to looking at target setting and all of that, we are currently going through the process of internally reviewing our our systems and our processes and our appetite against our sustainability framework, which came with our first sustainability report. And with that, we'll be able to then come to the market with a more authentic approach uh, with those measures and monitoring that you'd expect to see from, uh, from targets and metrics. So we're definitely looking at it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, look, I guess we're finding that the pressure to set net zero targets is sort of being counterbalanced by the risk of greenwashing and and you know doing it the right way and making sure it, as you say it's authentic so has that sort of has the, the greenwashing fear sort of factored into how you how you're going about being cautious yet ambitious it's a, it's a balance i guess it, it is a balance and we've definitely got a watch and brief on it at the moment so we're we're doing a fantastic work at the moment in the space of progressing our operations towards a low carbon economy, looking at renewables. We've got a PPA in place so we can start to look at how we can transition to a low carbon economy. So we've got the right mechanisms in place to start doing that, but we're being really cognizant that we want to make sure that anything we do is considered and takes into consideration, is considered and really is respectful to all of our stakeholders and value chain that we have and what what i mean by that is we anything that we set we want to make sure that it adds value for everyone and that it's commercially viable and that it stacks yeah. up i think greenwashing 
the regulators have spotted this and they're playing catch up real fast. And one of the things that I've noticed in the market off the back of COP26 is the ISSB standards are probably going to be coming through quite quickly. And so that's something that we'll start to think about as well as we move forward. As the regulators get involved with this and they start to set consistent disclosures, I think that will start to kind of reveal a lot more about who's not actually living up to the commitments and who is. So again, really big watch and brief for us this century. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the guidance they've released has been has been pretty helpful, pretty uh, logical advice, um, you know, make sure that uh, any targets you set are, are, you know, backed up by science and, and based on the frameworks, I think is, you know, it's really sound advice. And as you say, the, when the ISSB standards come out, I think that will really help moving forward with sort of standardising the way that, that people are reporting. Clint, I'm really interested in the expansion of Centuria into the agriculture sector. It's quite different to the built environment in which you're used to operating. And I wonder whether the thinking behind that is to start to look at carbon farming and, and generating accus. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Our, our expansion into the agriculture asset is for me personally, extremely exciting. You rightly mentioned there's a, a large amount of opportunity to start looking at nature-based solutions in response to carbon offsets and net zero commitments that might be made at some point. Uh, I think it's a really interesting value proposition that Century can bring to the table, being able to have an agricultural asset class diversifies us uh, amongst our and diversifies us away from our peers mm. but gives us that opportunity to have increased transparency and audit and traceability if we did go and look at something like Jenny and accus and offsets at the moment our agricultural assets are really focused on acquiring uh, assets that have really high ESG credentials. And so our, one of our, we just launched our Centuria Agricultural Fund this year and one of our seed assets, and that was the Flavorite Glasshouse down in Victoria, fantastic asset. We're looking at assets that have 90%, use 90% less water than traditional farming techniques mm. out in the paddock. They recycle almost all of their waste and have opportunities to divert food waste back into the local community. So we're really focused on stuff like that. And that's going back to that management, that ESG management approach there. It's examples like that, that show the, our sustainability approach really coming to life. That's fantastic. How exciting. Lots to look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> there is a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Clint, for joining me today and sharing your experiences. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to connect and, and talk with you today, Meg. So. Excellent. It certainly sounds like it's been a whirlwind since you started at Centuria and sounds like you've made some great progress along the way. And thank you to all our listeners. We trust that the information and discussion today has been useful. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. You can find our details on our website, paulandwilcox.com.au, or you can connect with us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and follow our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe to our podcast on our website. Thanks again for joining us. Mm-hmm.